right, welcome to Growing Together, a podcast of Central Presbyterian Church. This podcast is about learning to grow together as a family united to Jesus. So, in many ways, this podcast is not unlike being at a family dinner table, around a fire, or any other places families gather. So, welcome. Take a seat, and let's get going. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Growing Together. Uh, We're excited to explore what makes Central, well, just Central. Um, I'm Cole Lesher, uh, the pastor of college and young adults here, and we're with Matt Woodson, the Assistant Director of Student Ministries and Wizard of Beards. Matt, say hello. hey Hey, found him. (laughs) There he is. (laughs) Next up is Pam Smith, who's in our communications department and all things tech and audio and stuff that I can't do. Hey, Pam. <laughs> hey. Uh, and then I get the the privilege of having our guest, Pastor Mike Farley. He's a pastor of spiritual formation here at Central. Excited to have him with him. Hey, Mike. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, thanks for being on with us. Uh, one thing that we really think is important here at Growing Together is that we want to know more about our guest, especially at this point, kind of our first couple episodes, I think you're on episode three, congratulations. You'll get like a badge or something at some point, maybe a members only jacket, I don't know. <laughs> um, but we wanna know more kind of about you and maybe what led you here to St. Louis, tell us about your family, all those things. So who is Mike? Right, thanks. So the first thing to say, I guess, is um, you know I grew up not in St. Louis. I am from a little rural town in Western Ohio. By little, I mean we had three stoplights in our town of 1,500, so small. My dad and mom were both teachers. Uh, You're going to hear teaching themes like all the way through this story, and it starts here in my genes. (laughs) My dad was the math teacher at the high school. My mom was the band director before I was born, and then when I was born, she went to part-time work and taught private piano lessons, and she was also the music director at a really large church about the size of Central. So I thought I wanted to be a teacher from the time I was pretty young because of that influence. And I was a reader. I was, I loved school. I was a student, you know, all the way through. I actually had my dad for all my math classes in high school, you know, and people were like, was that so weird? Uh, And I thought, no, it was kind of fun because I liked math. And, you know, my brother and sister uh, hated math, right? That was uh, was the, the bane of their existence, but I loved it. So it was cool. Not a problem. So I was a musician growing up. You know, my mom had a big influence on that. I learned piano from her. I played trombone. I sang. I played piano for choirs and did a lot of that stuff, all kinds of church music stuff. I was kind of flirting with being a music major in high school, at least for a while, because I really did a lot of that stuff and loved it. I was a basketball player, too. I played on our JV and varsity teams all the way through, and that was awesome. Uh, It was a lot of fun. But I also developed this interest in science, and that's kind of what started me on a vocational path, at least going to college. So I went to a college called Wittenberg University, which is in Springfield, Ohio, near Dayton. Um, That's where Linda, my wife, and I met through uh, some campus ministry activities. Wittenberg's a Lutheran school, and we weren't Lutheran, but we got involved in some of the chapel stuff, and Linda and I kind of first met there. But then eventually we made our way to what was Campus Crusade, now Crew, and we became student leaders in that, and, you know, we're part of a friend group, you know, hanging out together there. So that was a really great time. But at college, I was a, I was a chemistry major because I was really interested in these questions about how Christianity and natural science go together. A lot of people 
you know, perceive there to be these conflicts. And I was really interested in those discussions and thought, I think I want to do this. And so I, I did what you do when you're a chemistry major, which is go to grad school. So I went to Indiana University and started into a grad program in biochemistry there thinking I'm going to go off and be a professor and I'm going to get to speak into all these cool discussions and that'll be great. And about a year into that time, I realized uh, this isn't going to be what I want to give my life to vocationally. Being around people who would eat, sleep, and breathe chemistry, uh, I realized, yeah, I liked it, but not like that. Right? You know, if you're going to be a chemistry professor, you really have to like the chemistry. Right? <laughs> but I think God had me there as much for the church I was involved in as I was for the program, because that's where I first got exposed to kind of the whole reform Presbyterian world. The church we were going to had Presbyterian roots and a couple of Presbyterian pastors at the time, one of whom had done some work at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. And so that eventually became my bridge. I decided about a year in that I really think I wanted to move towards vocational ministry, that that's where my heart really was. And so the guy says, well, you have to look at Covenant, said one of my pastors, and he was right. Have to. Uh, <laughs> have to. Yep, yep. So that's what eventually brought us to St. Louis. Linda and I got married after that first year of grad school for me, and then we came to St. Louis a year later. That was in 1996. And I was at Covenant Seminary for four years. The music stuff was still a big part of my life. I actually helped work with Mark Dalby, who was the dean of students at that time, and we planned chapel services together. And I was kind of the regular campus pianist back when chapel services were simple and you just had a piano player doing hymns. I was yeah. the piano guy for several years. And I played in a brass quintet that we had for those years, which was just fabulous. So music was still a great interest there. And that led me to kind of some of the larger interests that took me beyond seminary. Because while I was in seminary, I was at a small church and I was playing piano for some of the services and then being asked to help plan worship and realizing, I don't really know how to do that. What is involved in planning worship? I don't know. And so that kind of started me down a path of trying to figure out what I needed to figure out to do that well. And I realized this is a huge area and it's an area where there needs to be a lot more growth and a lot more work done, I think, in our own kind of church circles. And so that kind of birthed the idea of a vocational path for me beyond there. I had entered seminary thinking I'm going to go right into pastoral ministry. About halfway through, I realized, you know, I really like the study too. And I thought it would be wise for me to leave some doors for teaching open. So being a glutton for punishment, I actually went to a PhD program at St. Louis University in historical theology to study worship. So the PhD was right all along. It was just the wrong field, right? And I finally yeah, yeah. found the right one. It's um, just a Saturday decision. You were like, you know what? I think maybe I should, yeah, I should probably get a PhD in worship. Yeah, I have more years in school than any human being probably should. So. <laughs> I feel like this is such a safe environment between the other episodes where we were all like, it's like Researchers Anonymous. We are all people who like research everything. And also, yes, I was that person who was like, oh, it's just two more or three more, you know, classes to get two degrees rather than dual majors. I'll just do that. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Exactly. That's, awesome. That's crazy. So you've talked a little bit about uh, your education and how important it is with you. Who are some important teachers or professors that you had like a really tight relationship that kind of helped you guide your path? 
Yeah, one of the important ones for me at seminary was one of the Old Testament professors there, Jack Collins. And that was in partly because Jack actually has a degree from MIT in engineering and physics-related stuff. And he's had this lifelong interest in the relationship of science and Christianity. Uh, that's a lot, most of what he's actually written his books about. So he and I really bonded very quickly over that, and I became his teaching assistant for a couple of years. And uh, I actually really liked the languages, too, and that's Jack's specialty uh, in Hebrew and Greek. I even got to do some teaching at the seminary later on, and that's all because of Jack, because of his great training. And he just became a really good friend. You know, we had these shared kind of educational interests, but it just became a good friendship. You know, Jack is also really interested in Christian liturgy, the history of worship as well. He's a real advocate for paying attention to the history of the church's worship. And so we had lots of things in common, right, to, to really build on. So that was awesome. You know, I really enjoyed the time I got to know Mark Dalby as well as Dean of Students. You know, our work in worship stuff together there was really great. And Mark and I eventually ended up teaching uh, part of a doctor of ministry course together on worship. You know, so that kind of mutual interest just blossomed into a really good uh, friendship there as well. Yeah, those are some pretty cool guys. Yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, everybody who goes to seminary at Covenant has a Jack Collins story. <laughs> Yes. Depends on what day it was. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so you started the PhD at SLU and was the whole intent, was it always to go, okay, I'm, I'm going to go be a professor of worship? How did that play out? That was the thought at the time. You know, I envisioned myself going to a college or a seminary and teaching and having involvement in the church kind of on the side, in a sense, being able to write books and do scholarship stuff. But God just closed every door. When I finished in 2007 and the financial collapse happened in the country and like every academic job went away for two years, it just, you know, there was almost nothing even to apply for. I spent two years trying to find a job somewhere and God just closed every door. I was juggling five part-time teaching jobs for five years. I taught a theology course at SLU. I taught some worship classes at Covenant Seminary, which was cool because I wouldn't have been able to do that if I'd moved away. So uh, they started a master's program in worship, and I was able to teach some courses there because I was here. I taught math and science to homeschoolers. So you see, the degree came in handy. Nice. Paid some bills for a while. Uh, <laughs> nice. I taught at the homeschool learning center, teaching like all the math from pre-algebra through pre-calculus and did some ACT preparation classes for high school students and did Hebrew and Greek in the summers for students who wanted to place out. And it was like, how many balls can I juggle at once? And I did that for like five years. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Kind of wondering what was this all a big mistake, <laughs> but then um, the call to central just sort of dropped out of heaven into our laps uh, completely unlooked for central at that point decided they wanted to call a pastor of worship who would kind of help and bring some unity to the planning of worship kind of across the different kinds of services that Central offered. Uh, what I think I didn't mention here was that while I was doing the PhD, I was also the worship director at a church plant in Maplewood called Crossroads Presbyterian Fellowship. I became an elder there toward the end of that time, and I did what you do in a church plant, which is like a little bit of everything. Yep. I directed the adult education stuff there for a while because I love to teach and did that, but I also did a lot of the worship stuff. I was playing piano every week and planning the services and uh, rehearsing musicians and, you know, making it all fit together. So it was really cool to study worship and be a practitioner of it all, all at the same time. Uh, it felt like a really cool providential thing that came together. And that actually became then my avenue to come to Central because what we were doing at Crossroads is very similar to what Central does at our 1115 service. 
what used to be our 1115 service, <laughs> what maybe will be our 1115 service again yeah. one day. Right? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, yes, yes. But I also had, you know, kind of a larger background. That I could kind of interact with the whole spectrum of what was happening here in worship. So, um, so that was the doorway here. And I had been a student of Dan Doriani who was here at that time. And so I, I had, had a lot of connections to Central relationally. I had actually been a, a coach at CCS, uh, Central Christian School. I was a baseball coach with Pete Geis because my son and his son were the pitcher-catcher combo in baseball. Wow. Yeah, Mark Geis was a great catcher and my son Caleb pitched. So we did that for some years together. And uh, Sandy Weltman did uh, softball with my girls. Uh, we coached together for a couple of years. I coached basketball. I coached with Joe Grenison, who was, you know, used to be here at Central. I had all these connections to Central. And so when we told our kids that we were coming to Central, our kids went, oh, that's cool. We have all these friends. Like awesome. they walked in the door on day one and had, you know, this whole array of friends they spent all this time with. It was, yeah. it was really cool. That's the way the church. I love that. That's such a St. Louis thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was crazy to think, you know, you and I got here close to and around the same time. So it's been like, you know, nine and 10 years since we've started at Central. It's crazy. I know. There's been a lot of, a lot of water under that bridge. <laughs> yeah. It's been good, though. Well, tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah. So my wife, Lynn, and I have been married for 25 years. Right. We got married right, right out of college. Right. Actually, this is a cool story. Uh, we got married the day that she graduated from college. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a busy day. Uh, we, yeah. she, she graduated in the morning, and we got married at what was my home church in my hometown at that point because it was only 30 minutes away. And we had all these college friends that we wanted to be part of our wedding. And if we'd waited a week, they would have all, all gone away. So we said, why not? So we did an evening wedding, and it was great. It was great. That's it's awesome. awesome. <laughs> it was a long day. Yeah, I bet. Uh-huh. <laughs> Linda is a homeschool teacher. We've been homeschooling our kids uh, and she does, you know, 99% of all that and is fabulous at what she does. She's also a Bible study leader here at Central. She co-leads the Wednesday night women's study and has done that for several years. And she's on the family ministry team and the mental health team as well. So she's plugged in a lot of places and enjoys uh, being here. We have three children. Our son, Caleb, is uh, 19. Our daughter, Rachel, is 17, and our daughter, Lydia, is 16. That's so, so wild. crazy. How is yeah. everyone growing so quickly? I know. <laughs> I know. Yes. Uh, they have lots of musical and artistic interests. You know, Caleb be, has become a pretty good guitar player, and he writes music, and uh, he's interested in production stuff now and getting all the equipment to do that kind of stuff. So that's kind of cool to see his gifts blossom. And yeah. Rachel's been our athlete all along, and uh, Lydia is fabulous at drawing. She's got a real eye for design. So, yeah, they have some cool interests. Yeah, that's awesome. That. Yeah, so what is your favorite thing about living here in St. Louis? Since, you know, you already had a lot of connections, but... What's your favorite thing about the city and being here as a family? You know, I, my answer is probably going to be kind of some of the boring answers people always say, but this is by far the biggest city I've ever lived in. You know, I went from my <laughs> tiny hometown to Springfield, Ohio, 75,000, to Bloomington, Indiana, 75,000, and then to St. Louis, right? So this feels enormous in some ways to me. <laughs> but on the other hand, it feels like a bunch of small towns just kind of stitched together. And I think that's what I've come to appreciate about St. Louis is that it has this kind of weird small town family feel in, in a way. And I think there's some cool dimensions to that. 
Um, yeah. Never did I thought you'd have so many municipalities in one place. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't even know how. I don't even know how to process it most days. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm not sure St. Louis does either. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and all the fun things to do here, you know, pretty inexpensively. We love the botanical gardens. We love the museums. It's the cardinals. It's been really great. Well, what is a targeted ad that would tell us something about you? I'm going to tell you my last four sponsored ads on Facebook because <laughs> I think the combination of the four will maybe tell you a little bit. So I got an ad for the Smithsonian and for a book on Lent. And uh, uh, one of NBA highlights and an ad for chocolate. <laughs> nice. That just hits the gamut. That's like so I think like the combination of that is kind of lots of me. <laughs> it's just Mike. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I don't know if you've seen the social dilemma, but they take all of this data about you and like aggregate it. And it's like, hey, this is you. From what I know about Mike Farley, that does sound like Mike Farley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they're doing really good on his uh, on his end. Spine on him is working out. So, um, yes, you, you get the Boston oh, yeah. Celtics and chocolate, you know, mm. in consecutive ads. I'm hooked. I'm there right now. <laughs> yeah. You got me every time. <laughs> oh, man. Hey friends, we'll take a break in this episode to tell you a little bit about the lifeinchrist.net site that we have. Pastor Mike will talk in a moment about growth groups and one of the cool things, the cool resources we have is this site called lifeinchrist.net. There you'll find resources for different growth groups. You'll see the ways in the different arenas and spheres of our lives that, uh, that we need formation in. You can find conversations and, and videos and resources on apologetic, different apologetical questions. There's just so much there. So I'd encourage you to go check it out, lifeinchrist.net. If you have any questions or you want to join a growth group or any way to connect, we would love to figure that out in a way to get you connected with our church. You can email me. Uh, or Pastor Mike, and you can find all of our information on centralpres.com. Looking forward to it. And on with the show. Well, with the remaining time that we have, I'd love to chat about kind of what you do here at Central. This season is all about why. Why do we do what we do? Why does Central do the things that they do? And we're trying to look at that through the, the lens of each of our staff members, or, or at least a, a good amount of them, to figure out kind of what's happening. And your position is a pastor of spiritual formation now. It was pastor of worship. Mm -hmm, You're also right. a resident scholar here, which is pretty dope title. Um, <laughs> but I, I'd love to ask, uh, you know, what makes spiritual formation significant to you? And what is its significance into the life of the church? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to do the nerdy theologian thing here for a minute and say nice. uh, my area is important because it actually goes all the way back to the heart of what God's doing in his kingdom since creation. Mm. <laughs> I mean, God's been at work from the beginning to transform and to renew all things for his good mm. purpose. He's pushing back on sin and death and all of its curse as far as the curse is found. That's what he's doing in the world. And so spiritual formation is just what happens in us and to us when we're joined to Christ by the Holy Spirit, and then we become part of that work. We become part of that mission in the world. And so because we're joined to Jesus, he gives his resurrection life to us to purify us and heal us 
us and to kind of reshape every part of us that's been corrupted and broken by sin. So what I'm trying to teach and promote and support in pursuing adult spiritual formation is really that transforming work that's at the heart of what God's doing in his mission in the world. So you talked about being a nerd, being a theologian, um, you know, you, you, you've got a PhD. Um, sometimes I found, especially in my own life, I don't know like all of this theology. What role does theology play in spiritual formation, especially like head knowledge? Like what do I need to know? What don't I need to mm-hmm. know? Like what's the gambit there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Christians are always in danger of getting all these things out of balance, for sure. I remember in a book J.I. Packer wrote about holiness, he kind of draws three stick figures, you know, one with an enormous head for people who only focus on all the doctrines and the knowledge, you know, and then a person with a huge middle torso, you know, people who are all about emotion and people with huge legs who are all about doing but not much about thinking things through. So, you know, there's always a tendency to lean towards the big head, (laughs) towards thinking that if I just know a lot of doctrine and I have a lot of understanding about the Christian faith, then that somehow is going to like automatically sanctify me. It's going to automatically make me grow. Now, that's not to say there is a role for that. There's an important Mm -hmm. role for that, but it's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. So you asked what role does it play? Um, Yeah. Well, you know, God has revealed himself to us in lots of ways. And one of the chief ways he's done it is through words. I mean, God speaks and he's spoken to us and he's given his word. And so that means one of the primary ways we actually know God and one of the primary means he uses to change us is through the word that he's given us. And that means we've got to learn how to read it. We've got to learn how to read it and understand it. We need to immerse ourselves in that story because that's the story of the world that we're living. But I think where a lot of sometimes this goes off the rails is that we think we need to know a lot of technical terms and we need to not know about a lot of technical arguments and debates about this, that, or the other. You know, you're not sanctified by knowing a bunch of Latin terminology. Uh, what? Are you serious? Doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know, I almost never say imago dei because just say image of God. <laughs> it never adds anything. Uh, so anyway. I think the most important thing to know is that we really have immersed ourselves in the story of Scripture, that we're able to understand who God is through the story of what he's done in the world and through the songs that he's given us and the wisdom that he's given us in places like Proverbs and all these very accessible ways of revealing himself to us, you know? Mm. And God's revelation isn't primarily a five-volume Latin treatise on all the doctrines of the Christian faith. Oh, thank God. It's through a story. And everyone can grasp stories Mm -hmm. because that's the way we're wired. We're just wired for them. And we're wired for songs like the Psalms. So I think the most important thing at the knowing level is, first of all, just immersing ourselves in that story. Hmm. Because part of what living the Christian life means is that when we kind of so internalize that story that it just kind of comes out of us Hmm. in how we live and shapes how we think because we're able to model ourselves on other people in that story and be guided by it. I think that's probably the most important thing. And then we can go from there. That story does help us answer some really complicated questions that we can ask, but we don't start with those questions. We start with the story. I think that's the most important thing. I love that. So we use the term spiritual formation at our church, which I really like, but I'm curious because a lot of other churches that I've seen, been a part of, or 
know, don't quite use that phrase uh, or those words to describe functionally like adult ministry. Usually it's like pastor of adult ministry. And then that's just like this really broad statement. It's so broad that you can't define it. So you just kind of don't. And so what is the difference or what does it look like instead of adult ministry, spiritual formation is what? Like what is kind of the nitty gritty details of how we're doing that uh, in our days? Well, part of the reason I chose that title is because I think that title clarifies what the purpose of our adult ministries is. Adult ministry doesn't really say a whole lot about what it's for. Hmm. Adult ministry just says we're serving adults (laughs) or helping adults to serve. Uh, Hmm. Well, to serve to do what, right? You know, we have to be able to answer that question. But spiritual formation communicates that the purpose of what we're doing is transformation. It's about our renewal into the image of Jesus. That's the purpose. So all of our adult groups in all their variety, you right, are all meant to aim at that goal. And if they're not accomplishing that goal, then we've got to go back to the drawing board and make sure that they are. You know, churches used to call my particular role like a pastor of Christian education. <laughs> yep. I think that that language is too small. It makes everybody think of being in a classroom yeah. and it's just too academic. We're not spiritually transformed primarily just by gaining understanding and by study, although there's an important component there. The goal is actually putting sin to death in our lives. The goal is is actually cultivating new habits and practices of health and holiness in our lives. That's the end goal, as seeing the Holy Spirit do that transforming work in us. You know, and that doesn't always happen in a classroom. It does happen in classrooms, but it happens so many other places as well. Uh, It happens in settings of hospitality in our homes. It happens in Zoom meetings and phone calls between friends. You know, it happens hanging out over coffee. It's so many relational environments where all this work happens. So we don't want to communicate that it's primarily about being in a class. Um, I love how you said that Christian education is just too small and adult ministry is, in many ways, it's just too vague. We got to find the middle of that to some extent, but I think it's really interesting that if you start to go down that path of formation, I mean, we're talking about everything. We're talking about how you deal with your neighbors, uh, how you deal with your spouse, how do you deal with your friends, your children, uh, how do you deal with your money? Just fill in the blank of everything that is about a holistic person, a whole person, like we're addressing that within being formed because it's not just about what I know. It's about what I know and do and live <laughs> all in the same mm-hmm. same deal. And I just think that's really interesting to connect all of those. And I know that you put a lot of thought in that recently, especially with conversations around growth groups and things like that. So I'd love to hear more about kind of what that is looking like and shaping out to be in our church. You mean the, the growth group ministry in particular? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess I should back up first and say there are different important roles for different kinds of groups in our church. And we offer a pretty wide variety of different kinds of groups you can connect with, places that'll help encourage and support our spiritual growth. We have a whole lot of medium-sized groups, anywhere from like 10 to 50 people, you know, and, and they come in all varieties. We've got Sunday school communities, and we've got community groups. We've got Bible studies. We got... Um, ones that are specific for men and specific for women. We've got a whole variety of of groups to join. And all those medium-sized groups in varying degrees and with varying emphases, they all do a lot of good things. Those kinds of groups are great for providing really good teaching. 
they're small enough that people also find places to connect there. You know, they're small enough that people start to learn who you are and you get to share snapshots of your life with people. They know your name and they miss you when you're gone. You know, we all need places like that in a church as large as Central. And they're really good at providing pastoral care, too, you know, when crises come along in people's lives to have a group of people who can help you move or can bring meals when you're in the hospital or, you know, when a new baby arrives. Like, those kinds of groups are great for all those things. But a couple limitations of groups that are that big is that they're too big to allow everybody to really engage at a deep personal level all the time. You do get a chance to share a little bit about your life, but only in really kind of brief snapshots. You know, you really don't have time for 15 people to get to talk for 45 minutes about what's going on in their life, unless you're committed to like, you know, 15 hour meetings, right? Every time you're together, uh, you just don't have the capacity to do that. And, you know, sometimes when groups get to be a certain size, it can be hard to have enough trust to be really vulnerable about the really deepest, hardest things in our lives. So I think that we need another kind of setting relationally to complement some of those medium-sized groups. Uh, and that's what we at Central are starting to call growth groups. We use the word grow because it's part of our new core value language. We talked about core values of connecting, growing, and serving at Central. And so this is a, a kind of group that's aimed specifically at the purposes of fostering spiritual growth. So growth groups are groups of two to four people. Three is a almost ideal number, I think. But, you know, three or four works really well. A group of that size is small enough that you can have the time that everybody gets an opportunity to share in some depth about how they're doing every single time you meet. And they're small enough that you can begin to develop a depth of friendship where people can develop real transparency, real vulnerability uh, with each other. And you can get to know the nitty-gritty details of what's happening in people's lives. So growth groups are these groups of two, three, four people who are meeting frequently enough to really stay up to date with what's going on in each other's lives and who are meeting not just to hang out, but they're meeting for the primary purpose of cultivating each other's spiritual growth. Growth groups are meeting not just to do study together, but they're studying for the purpose of transformation, for the purpose of developing some concrete goals for spiritual growth that can come together into a spiritual growth plan. So one of the things we hope comes out of growth groups is that people begin to put together a plan for their lives and begin to get a biblical vision of what health and growth and holiness looks like in all these different dimensions of life that you just named, whether it's how I use my finances or how I love people in the key relationships in my life to how I worship God, to how I steward my emotions, you know, all of that and on and on and on. We want to get a biblical vision for what health looks like in all those areas, and then take the next step of actually naming some very, very specific ways that we can begin to build some new habits and practices in our lives to help us grow in that way. So growth groups, they're not studies primarily, they're actually groups for growth. And the study is a tool that helps serve that larger goal. So growth groups commit to relationships and they commit to this goal of supporting each other's growth. I love that. Nice, yeah, that's great. Yeah, selfishly, I I say that because I'm in two of them. And Matt <laughs> over here is in one of mine. Is the third one. So, you know, no big deal. Just Pam, we have wonderful plans for your life. <laughs> yes, you got to be expecting an email right after this. Um, 
So we talked about the last uh, few episodes as well about the annual mission and vision statement that we have right. here for 2021 on the heels of the longest 10 years of one year, 2020. <laughs> uh, right. You know, we had Clay kind of outline the mission and vision of our church and then kind of gave us the annual mission and vision. And then we got to talk to Ben about what that engagement looked within evangelism and we heard about Christianity Explored and all those really mm -hmm. cool things that we're looking to do and, and are already doing in many ways. The work you're doing is actually also a key component of this annual mission and vision as well. So I'd love to hear more about what that's going to look like for how you're unveiling and rolling this out and you know what people can do to connect in that regard. Yeah, so this whole growth group idea is really aimed at helping people belong helping people connect and develop the kind of depth of relationships that will help people really have a sense that this is my church family and God's really deeply at work in my life. It's really our hope that everyone who comes to Central and who commits to really being an active member of our church is given all the support and encouragement that they need to become all that God's made them to be. We want everyone to come and be able to experience the opportunity to develop the kind of friendships that they need to walk together with them and support their growth and to have whatever support and challenge and resources they need to get a biblical vision for their life about what God's doing in their life and wants to do through them in the lives of other people. Growth groups are really aimed at that larger aspect of our church's mission, like uh, vision statement talks about transformation and renewal. And that's what we want to see. We're thinking about growth groups as a place where really deep kinds of transformation can happen because that's where really deep relationship can happen. And those two always go hand in hand. So that, that's the goal. You know, it's possible for you to go to a church and to go to corporate worship services and maybe even sit in a Sunday school class or be in a Bible study and yet never really get to the point where you can be known. Uh, where someone can really know the real deep down heart level struggles and joys and experiences in your life. And if no one in your church family, if literally no one knows you at that level, then you're not going to be able to experience really all the kind of transforming work God wants to do in us. Yeah. You know, to go back to scripture, we're really just wanting to put into practice the methodology that Jesus himself models. Jesus modeled not only teaching to large crowds of people, you know, he chose a fairly small number of friends that he poured his life into and modeled for them, not just a message, but a method. And that's what we want to try to live out here in our own context in a way that fits here. So that's what growth groups are really aimed at, belonging, connecting, so that we can really see transformation at the deepest levels. So our hope is that over time, you will hear more and more about this. We are going to be rolling out a website that's going to have a whole lot of resources that will outline helpful teaching tools, study tools, self-reflection tools that will look at seven different major dimensions of life so that we're able to, over time, hopefully work at developing a vision and some goals for growing across the whole range of issues going on in our lives. So the website will be a really key resource of places. So you'll never have to guess what would be a good book or what would be a good video to watch or what would be a good Bible study guide to get on this particular topic. You know, we want to provide that for people and say, here are some great tracks to run on. And it's not a guided curriculum. It's not that you have to do this and only this resource. We're going to provide a lot of options for people. 
but we're going to try to give some guidance too, to say, here are some really great things to consider that will help you grow in all these different areas of life. So the website will be really key. Yeah. The other part to it is then how do you form the relationships? How do you get to the point of doing that? And there's not a real easy way to describe how that works. Part of it depends on trying to build on the relationships that we start to form at church in a variety of ways. You can't always automatically just instantly step into your deepest, closest relationship ever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hi, will you be my best friend, right, is yeah. kind of a hard jump to make all at once, right? <laughs> Here's all my problems. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. But what yeah. we're hoping is, and, and this is the way I think different aspects of our ministry will work together. One way we envision this working for a lot of people is, if people will get involved in some of our other activities, in some of our support groups or Sunday school, or they serve together in some kind of ministry that Ben's putting together. And as you rub shoulders with people, we want people to start to think about who am I starting to, to encounter at Central that I'd really like to get to know better? Who would I really like to link arms with to kind of walk together? Because that's the image I'd love people to have of what a growth group is. You're just linking arms with a couple people so that you walk on your path together. I think people will discover that as they're kind of rubbing shoulders with people in different aspects of the church's life. You know, you might discover that you go to a Wednesday dinner at some indefinite point in the future (laughs) when we can do that. Um, You might meet someone over dinner or you might encounter someone in the Bible study who you find this connection with. And we hope that growth groups will then be a path that people can say, hey, here's a way to go deeper. And I certainly want to be a person who helps people think through that. So the easy answer to your question is, come talk to me. Because part of my role, I think, is in trying to help people think, like, how do I approach these kind of relationships? And how would we get started? And we've got some tools put together that can tell you, here's how you can get started doing this kind of group. And so pastors are here to support that kind of work. So come talk to me. (laughs) Well, I think it's interesting is, Due to where we are in a pandemic and the structure and reality that we have of screens and our kind of form of community is more often centered around that. And I remember, you know, 20 years ago, uh, just last year, we (laughs) thought a lot about like, oh, no, we really want to create community, but people are going to online churches or just listening to preachers online and they're not getting a community and now the more and more I'm finding all those people who had those excuses are now not as good because they miss people. Like they don't have that connection. I mean, I've had multiple conversations with folks in the last few weeks who've gone from being on the kind of peripheral of everything to now going, hey, can we meet like one-on-one and talk about scripture for a while? Like folks that I didn't even expect them to ask me that. And as a pastor, I wasn't even expecting them to ask me that, but they are. And I think we're yearning for that. We're yearning for these connections of people to actually know me because I think we're realizing all the walls, all the things we put up to not be known, (laughs) uh, they're crumbling down. They're so inadequate for who we want to be. It's almost like seeing every person crying out on Facebook or getting mad on Facebook needs a friend. (laughs) Like, this is the reality is like, we need friends. And some of us are exploding on Facebook or exploding on Twitter, exploding on anywhere else, because we just don't feel like we're heard. And we don't feel like we're in community. Yeah. Yeah. And these types of things, uh, this is where church is church. This is where we're very different than any other thing in this world. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited about this. I think it's a great, uh, great opportunity. 
As someone who, uh, like you said earlier, is actually a part of that growth group, I can definitely attest to that. And I can also attest to the fact that like at the beginning, it does feel a little artificial, but the more time that you actually spend together, and mm-hmm. especially in the midst of a really difficult time. So not only in the midst of a pandemic, but to be a little vulnerable here, you know, whenever my father passed away at the end of the year, my growth group was a tremendous asset. Um, and I felt really, really solidified. And I felt really, really well known in the midst of it. So it not only helps you to know scripture, to know one another, but to also just for those other people to be a tangible expression of God's love and care in the midst of really difficult times as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's precisely when those crises come along in our lives. If we haven't done the work of trying to cultivate a depth of relationship with some people, if that's not already there to some degree when the crisis happens, you can't just make it all happen in an instant. So that's where just doing the very ordinary work of just connecting with each other is building this foundation that just has all these blessings for precisely the kind of situation you described, Matt. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that obviously everybody misses going out, going to places, whether it's concerts or things like mm-hmm. that. But I don't think that people miss the busy, shallow aspects of that. What Mm. they miss is the connections and the being able to sit down and have long, deep conversations with people. So I think we want that, even if we tell ourselves, like, what I really want is to just go do something fun and mindless. But what you wind up missing is that deep connection. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. This is amazing to me, like right before the pandemic, all these books that came out about hurry, all these, you know, get rid of your hurry, get rid of the hustle and bustle of life and da 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 da. And then God's like, hold my Starbucks drink. And, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, God's like, oh, check this out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're all like in the same, like, oh no. I mean, I remember the first part of it was, oh, what am I supposed to do with my days? Because I don't know what to do. And so, yeah, these kind of groups are really helpful. So as our time is ending, I have one last question, and I've asked this at least the last episode and probably will continue because I think it's such a fruitful question. What are you most excited about? What gets you up in the morning uh, working at Central? What are the things that you see that give you hope that go, this is worth enduring? And I say that not in a sense of like, it's the hardest thing in the world, but like life is hard. You know, what gets you up in the morning to do the faithful day-to-day work? God has called you to do where you are. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, it's that Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because Christ is risen and he's at work. I can see, I can point to ways that I see him at work in the lives of people. So because I know the story and because I know that I, like the hymn says, though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. That's the hope that gets me going in the morning. And it's knowing that Jesus is our life and he is at work in our midst. And if we have eyes to see and we're looking for it, we can see signs of his work all around us. That's what keeps me going. Amen. I just want to say Christ is risen indeed. Uh, (laughs) Like a a liturgy flashback. You have been liturgically formed, my friend. Yes. Congratulations. (laughs) You did your job. Well, Mike, it's been great. I'm so happy to be able to chat and to talk about all the things. We'll obviously have you back at some point to talk more, hopefully soon, to talk about worship and what that looks like in our church. But if you have any questions or anything like that for Mike in his area of ministry in particular, you can email him. You can find all of his information on the website, centralpres.com. Thanks again for being here. 
Absolutely. uh, My pleasure. We'll, We'll see you next time. Thanks for being with us today. It's good to be together. If you want to find out more about Central Prez, uh, please go to our website at centralprez.com or find us on all the social media things with the handle at CPCSTL. Join us next time as we continue to learn and grow together uh, into the family of God. Blessings, friends.